want to talk to you about what to do when you fail big. It's a real uplifting message for me. But this is a Christian hot potato. You know a hot potato? You know a hot potato? You can't hang out to it. You take it out of the oven too soon. You didn't have gloves on. You're sitting there doing this, and you throw it to your wife. She throws it back to you. You throw it to your wife. She throws it back to you. You throw it to your kid. I mean, the hot potato. It's a proverbial hot potato. What I'm going to talk to you about tonight, you may never have heard preached in the pulpit anywhere you ever, ever went, because I don't know if I ever heard it preached. It's clear teaching of Scripture. It should be preached everywhere you go, but for some reason or another, it's not. But I'm going to deal with this. I've dealt with it before. I'm going to deal with it again because it's Bible. How to, what to do when you fail big. And I'm going to give three areas of failure in a Christian life and three ways of dealing with this failure. So biblically, three ways of dealing with failure in your Christian experience. Now, I'm not talking necessarily to unsaved folks because I think if you don't come to Jesus and get your sin forgiving, given and under the blood, this is, does not apply to you. But this is for born-again believers who sin against God and in their life. You say, did born-again believers sin against God? Yes, they do. Do they sin big? Sadly, yes. Yes, we do. So how do you get, how do you get rid of that? So how, what do you do with that? Well, I'll deal with that. Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 2. I'm going to go to Mark 1, 4, and 5, Acts 19, 18, and Acts 19, 18, 19. So those are the passages I'll be in tonight. Nehemiah 9, 2 says, The seed of Israel separated themselves from all strangers and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. I've confessed the iniquities of my family in front of you folks numbers of times. The iniquities of the Lytell family is immorality. The iniquities of my mother's side of the family, Hartman, was a foul mouth. They were just known by that. They were known for being rough talkers, my mother's side, the Hartman side. The Lytell side was known for their immorality and their uh, loose living. That was a besetting sin on that family. Was, that's what it means by confessing the iniquities of your fathers. Now, I, it, it's real sad when you say, well, I don't know any iniquities my fathers had. They, had. they had some, trust me. These people were coming back, come back into the land. God allowed them to come back into the land after the Babylonian captivity, 70 years in Babylon. Cyrus is raised up and says, go back. I'm going to pay for you to go back. I'll pay for you to rebuild the wall, pay for it to rebuild the temple under Ezra and Nehemiah in the Bible is a rebuilding of the walls and rebuilding of, and Haggai and rebuilding of the temple. And as they went back and you read in those books, they struggled. They struggled. Even when they went back with all that support from God, they still struggled. And so to overcome that, the seed of Israel separated themselves from all strangers and stood, stood and confessed their sins and, and iniquities of their fathers in a public arena, a public way, not private. In Mark chapter 1, verse 4 and 5, it says, John did baptize in the wilderness and preached the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. And there went out unto him all the land of Judea and they of Jerusalem, and we're all baptized of him in the river of Jordan, confessing their sins. The 
Pharisees came to be baptized of John the Baptist. They were the religious leaders of the day. They would have been looked at as the real righteous people of the day. And what did, what did he say to them? He refused to baptize them. He says, you're going to have to bring fruits of repentance before I baptize you. Evidently, they wouldn't confess their sins. They didn't have any to confess. Ding, 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 ding. And they were self-righteous. They didn't feel they needed it, what these poor people did when they came to John the Baptist and were heartbroken about their sin, confessed their sin, John the Baptist baptized them. But when the religious leaders came, when the elite came, he refused them. In Acts chapter 19, verse 18 and 19, it says, And many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds. Confess means confess their sin. Many of them also, which used curious arts, as witchcraft, brought their books together and burned them before all men as public. And they counted the price of them and found it to be 50,000 pieces of silver. We're talking a lot of money back then, massive amount of money. When I was about 19 years old, God allowed me to get into the business for myself. I was married with a child, and I got into the floor covering business. I went down and bought a green 1972, 71-72 Dodge van, 360 for a motor, and had nine mile a gallon, the best you could ever get. But gas was 35 cents a gallon, so it didn't hurt me too bad even though 35 cents was quite a bit over what it had been at 15 cents. How many remember that? Yeah, man, you remember that, don't you? And so my truck cost a whopping 3,500 bucks, and that was more money than I ever spent in my life, and I went into debt and financed it and bought tools. My tools were brand new. My van was brand new. My clothes were brand new. I show up at your house, 19 years old, and I, at 19 I looked young. I mean, at 19, I looked like I was 16. And I'd, have, I'd show up at people's homes with the, with the carpet installed, and the women would cry. They'd say, they'd get on the phone. Well, first of all, they'd say, are you the mechanic? And I'd say, yes, I am. <laughs> and they'd say, they'd say to their, their husband, Daddy, Dad, you know, Mom, I never figured, I know a few of you do that, you call each other Mom and Dad. I do not call my wife Mother. I'm not even going to do it. Uh, but anyway, they'd say, Mom, they'd say, Dad, they sent us a child out here to do our floor covering. And she'd say, call them up. And they'd call them up, and they'd tell the floor covering guy, you've sent us a child. We want a real, real mechanic. He says, oh, he is qualified. He's qualified. He's a good mechanic. Allow him to do the job. And so sometimes they wouldn't allow me to do the job. I literally had to pack my stuff up and go back. But most of the time they let me do it, and they were happy. My dad had took me on a job. He'd been, he'd been taking me on a job since I was big enough to mix mud or do help. And we did a tool, go help him, six, seven years old. And I did that all the way, and I learned. And he, of course, taught me how to do this, taught me how to do that, taught me how to lay tile, taught me all kinds of stuff in floor covering. And by the time I was... 19, I was ready to go out on my own, do what maybe somebody 25 or 28 or so would, would normally be able to do. I worked uh, that way for some 30, until uh, I was about 36 years old, I laid floor covering, was in the floor covering business, in the, in the installation part, all different kinds of it. And one thing I learned about Finish installation. They call it finish installation. I'm not your block guy. I'm not your, your truss guy. 
uh, who has, they don't have to have finished installation. But when you do finished installation, you're the last guy in the house and everything's done. And you go in there, you better come out nice. It better come out nice. And actually, really what people are shooting for most of the time is it better be perfect. I used to get a kick out of that. We live in a world of imperfect materials. We have imperfect methods being done by imperfect men. And they said, we want the job to be perfect. I mean, like, the deck is, stuck, the, 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 the deck is stacked against you. And I learned that quickly, early on, that uh, I, learned I, could, I learned I made mistakes in the installation. I would make mistakes. But I was told by some old boy one time, it's not whether you make mistakes, it's how you fix them that counts. I like that. So an old guy ahead of me said, you know, you're going to make mistakes, son. You, you, for sure, you're going to go and fail. You're going to fail here, and you're going to fail there, and you're going to fail it. Like this morning, Jimmy, all stand. We weren't ready. It was choir time. I love that, Jimmy. Do that every week. Makes me, it takes the heat off of me. And so, uh, you know, I mean, I just need, I learned it. It wasn't whether you made a mistake or not because you were going to or fail, if I may put it that way. It was really, how do you fix it? How do you deal with it? How do you deal with a failure? I've made all kinds of uh, fail. I've had all kinds of failures in insulation. I've laid the wrong material in the right room, and I've laid the right material in the wrong room. My dad laid the wrong material, laid the right material in the wrong house. Years ago, they would build houses, and they would do row houses, and they were exactly the same. I mean, the houses were exactly the same, and the address, the numbers on the houses were south and north. They were the same number. Like, you'd have two houses with 121, but it was 121 south, 121 north, and the houses looked the same. So he went to 121, and he went there, and there was nobody there. The door was open because people left their doors open. And he went in, and the kitchen looked like it needed a new floor. He scraped the old floor up, laid the new kitchen, left, left a bill, and then later on, you know, got a call. Says, I got this, I came home, I, I was stunned. I came home, I got a brand new floor in my kitchen and a bill. We never ordered anything. We don't want a new floor. And he said, yeah, I, I did your floor. And the other call came in, said, man, you were expecting you all day long. You never showed. You know, if it can happen, it will happen at the worst possible time. Murphy's Law. And I'm, I know how my dad worked on that. He, so he asked the one who got the floor by mistake, do you like it? And would you pay for it? And they said, we like it, but we're not going to pay for it. And so he had to buy new material, go to the other house and, and eat it, basically eat the thing, you know. So this is the way it is. I heard all that kind of stuff. I have mismatched the pattern in a floor. One time I had this 18-inch repeating pattern, and I don't know what I was thinking about, and I made it a 36-inch. Look, it looked funny. It was right in the middle of the kitchen. It looked like it was on purpose. The, the woman came in. I called her in and says, how do you like this? She says, I just love the way you did that, that, that thing in the 36. It was a mistake, but she liked it and paid for it, and I was happy with it. I've torn the material. You know, we lay that old that old uh, battleship linoleum they used to call it, and you'd, you'd push that a little bit, and it'd just rip. It'd just rip. Uh, I've burnt the material, left my seaming iron on the carpet, you know, instead of putting it in the 
where it's set, supposed to set in a heat shield, I put it right on the carpet, right on white carpet. Wool, white carpet. I'll never forget it. I've laid tile crooked in a room where, you know, you kind of walk like this. I laid one. I thought I had it measured out, settled out, and I looked at the tile, and eventually it just went right into the wall. As you can tell, none of them worked out good. I've had lots of bad material. I've had lots of bad instructions on from the factory. Yes, from the factory. I, I've, I, on top of all that, I've had bad people. I had crazy people. I mean crazy people. I mean crazy like loony crazy people. I've had critical people. I went to this one house, and, and a woman started coming all over, and it, my, my helper and I were getting the refrigerator out of the, out of the kitchen. We were moving some stuff, and she was right like two, three inches from my face here, and she was like, make sure you don't touch that. Make sure you don't bite that. I said, ma'am, you're making me nervous. And if you make me nervous, I'm probably going to destroy your stuff. Oh, she just threw her hands up in the air, ran to her husband, ran and raven, called my boss, told me I was a horrible guy and all kinds of stuff. And her husband came to me and said, don't pay attention. She just got an insane asylum about a week ago. <laughs> I thought, oh, brother. I picked my tools up. I said, I quit. I'm not doing any more for you. I'll move back what I got to move back. And went back to the store and said, don't, don't ever send me there again. I ain't going back. And people are crazy. I say all that to get your mind on how do you fix things when they fail, when you fail? How do you fix them? How do you fix them? There are biblical methods for repairing yourself when you fail, for repairing the damage. Now, you're not going to undo the damage. You're going to repair the damage. Our text speaks of some ways to really fix uh, sins. Yes, sins. Besides, you know, this is, I'm going to talk about a couple areas here. First of all, I'm going to deal with what do you do as a Christian when you sin privately? This may be the most common way that Christians sin. They sin privately between them and God. They get their phone. They look at something they ought not to look at. They get the computer. They look at something they ought not to look at. They have a brow with their wife. Well, with your wife, it's you and your wife. It's, you know, two become one flesh, so we'll let you go on that. It's a private thing, so... Uh, you know, you mistreat your wife, a woman mistreats her husband, and you know what happens. And so you get some sin. It's sin. You know, you lose your temper. You do something stupid. Am I talking to anybody here but perfect people? No, I know you. You, you have that. So what happens? Most of you know what to do, don't you? First John 1, 9, if, if we confess our sins, sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's right. That's right. It's uh, a day-by-day walk with God where you, when you fail and you do something wrong, you go to him immediately and just cough it up. You say what it is. I'm not, it's not who I am. I don't want to do that. It's wrong. It's wicked. Call it just what the Bible calls it. And then God will be pleased with you. Because the word confess means to agree with God. If he calls it lust, call it lust. If he calls it uh, cursing, call it cursing. Just agree with God that you did wrong and that you sinned. And then the Bible says he'll forgive you under the blood of Christ. It's our daily washing as you 
I, I like what brothers talked about, and I've talked about many times, the positional sanctification and practical sanctification. That's what I'm talking about now. Positionally, you've been saved. Your name's been put in the Lamb's Book of Life. You're under the blood of Christ. You're, you're forever, it's forever settled in heaven. You're in the right hand. Of the, you're, you're seated in the heavenlies positionally. But practically, you're here at the gospel, and you're still in the old flesh, and, and, uh, and, you, and you could say what Paul said, O wretched man that I am, who should deliver me from the body of this death? Because you're still in it. And you still fail. And so you're bathing. You're not getting resaved every time you fail, every time you sin, but you're getting bathed. You have your feet washed, as it were. Uh, you, 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 need, you walk around this world, you're going to get some dirt on you. And you go to God, and he cleanses you from all unrighteousness. The act of the washing of water by the word, the Bible says, is what it's talking about. So the, the word of God, and the washing of water, water by the word, and you daily cleanse yourself and keep... I like what Brother Tom Gillespie tells me. He says, keep a short list. I like that phraseology. Keep a short list between you and God. Don't let a big, long list go up of something you've done against God. Keep that list short as you can get it. You hit your thumb. You use the Lord's name in vain. You stop right there once the throbbing's gone. And ask him, to, ask him, and that was wicked and wrong, and that's not who I am. And that's it. Private sin private confession. Does it make sense to you? And that deals with it. But it requires confession. I want you to get that. It never talks about sweeping your sin under the carpet, hiding it, covering it up, not saying anything about it. Maybe it'll go away, not embarrassing yourself. It never talks like that in the Bible. Yet I hear Christians tell, talk to me like that. Well, preacher, I don't think we ought to, I don't think we ought to, uh, uh, what, do, what do they say they take that, that phrase? That we ought to uh, hang our dirty laundry for everybody to see. Everybody knows you've got dirty laundry. It's not whether you've got it. They know you've got it. The point is how you deal with it. You deal with it, you want to deal with it according to the Bible? Well, that's what you've got to do. Private sin needs to be privately confessed and agreed with God. David said in Psalm 51, 4, Against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. That's not a bad thing to remember. And that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and clear when thou judgest. Psalm 69, 5, O God, thou knowest my foolishness and my sins are not hid from thee. Psalm 25, 18 says, Look upon mine affliction and my pain and forgive all my sins. Psalm 51, 9, Hide thy face from my sins and blot out all mine iniquities. You may, may want to go to Psalm 32 and memorize some of that and quote that back to God when you individually sin. So private sin should be confessed privately, but it should be confessed. Do not let a long list of offenses get between you and God. What, what's this do for you? Well, it helps you to be humble, broken, contrite, per, with personal repentance and prayer to Jesus, claiming the shed blood of Christ and washing and cleansing. It helps you. It helps you. Your pride is going to fight you all the way. Your pride is going to be the one saying, you know, well, I don't really need to do this. I'm not, you know, I wasn't that bad. This was a white lie. All of that's pride, every bit of it, lessening what it really is. So you can't be right, and you will fail if you don't properly fix the mistakes you make in your personal life. And I don't like to call sin mistakes. I like to call it what it is, sin. The second way I want to deal with biblical way to deal when you fail 
is public mistakes or public sins in your spiritual life. What do you do when you fail publicly? What is publicly? A few people know about it. I mean, you define public. What's the public? A few more than a few people. Find, a couple people. If it gets outside your house, it's public. You with me on that? It gets outside your house, it's public, because you don't have to tell too many people; it'll go all over. Uh, you know, they'll say, "I'm not one to gossip," but uh, uh, you didn't hear that from me. But 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 let me tell you about so and so. I love the guise of gossiping under uh, prayer requests. Don't use prayer requests as a way to gossip about people. Well, I want to pray for you, brother. Stop it. If you really want to pray for them, and you really will, you'll keep it to yourself and them, and it won't go any further. You won't say to everybody you know, well, hey, I just have a way of prayer so that you want to pray for Brother Gillespie. He's got a wild temper. You know, don't do that like I just did publicly. And like tell, man, he's got a bad temper. It'll, it'll get out. <laughs> This is almost, by the way, tonight, a forgotten doctrine. This is almost an abandoned doctrine with today's pride-filled Christian crowd. Uh, What would ever cause resistance to public confession? Ask yourself that question. Reputation damage? Personal strain and nervousness? Maybe an embarrassment? All of these have to do with your self, which is pride. Selfishness is the most obvious kind of pride. And so we see a a spiritual precedent of this in numbers of places. This is just one in Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 2. So the seed of Israel had been kicked out of the land. It was public. Why? Read the book of Ezekiel, read the book of Jeremiah, read the book of Lamentations, read the book of Isaiah, and you'll see why they got kicked out of the land. They did every wicked thing the heathen did, and more than the heathen did. God said, you did things that hadn't even come into my mind. You out the heathen that I threw out before you, by the way, the seven nations which you took out before him. They did those very things. So he finally just had enough of it. And said, I'm bringing the Bab- bringing Assyrians in, taking 10 tribes out. I'm bringing Babylonian in, taking the other two tribes out. And I'm going to destroy this holy city that I made for you. I'm going to destroy that holy temple that Solomon made for you. Solid gold, a lot of it. I'm just going to wipe it out. I'm going to make it a dung heap where people take their dung in the morning. Why? Because they didn't deal with their sin the way God wanted them to. Their pride kept them back from it. And God has a way of dealing with sin. In Mark chapter 1, verse 5, it says, the people came to John the Baptist to be baptized, as I read, and they were confessing their sins. Public confession of sins. In Acts 19 at Ephesus, I read to you in 1918, that many believed, came, and confessed basically confess their sins. We were in the witchcraft. We've been doing witchcraft. Here's our books. Or we've been doing pornography. Here's our books. Or we've been doing wickedness. Here's our book. That's real Christianity. 
That's not showmanship. That's Christianity at work. When people will humble themselves under the mighty hand of God and not worry about what anybody thinks but God. Because let me say this. It doesn't make any difference if I'm happy with you, but it does make a difference if God's happy with you. And you want to make sure you make God happy with you. And don't worry about so much what men are happy with you. Because if you make God happy with you, then he'll, he'll make you at peace with men. If a man's ways please the Lord, even his enemies shall be at peace with him, the Bible said. He'll take care of the people. He'll take care of them if you, if you do what he wants you to do. So do you want relief? Do you really want relief? Do you really want lasting freedom from some besetting sin in your life? Do you want to stop the gossip? Really? You want to really kill the gossip? Public confession. We've done it from this in, in gospel many different times. People have gotten behind this pulpit and confessed their sin publicly. What they did is they admitted they did it, and they simply denounced it. You don't get up here and describe it. You don't get up here and go into detail on it, but all you do is say, I did such and such, and I'm guilty, and would you forgive me? A lot of times they ask forgiveness of the church because let me say this, as a member of Gospel Baptist Church, what you do is reflects on all of us. So if you go out there publicly and do wicked sin, it reflects on me. It reflects on everybody that wants to do right. You're, you're, no man liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. No, no. You are part of the body of Christ as a believer. So, do you really want to kill the gossip? You want to kill gossip? The best way to kill gossip is to get up and publicly and confess what you did is wrong. Man, there's nothing left to gossip about. All the gossip's over. We've had it happen here a number of different times. Big things happen. Public things happen. Even with our own assistant pastor at one time. And I had him do it. I said, if you want, to do, you want to get free from it, yes. Well, then I didn't force. Listen, I don't force anybody to do it. You can't force an adult to get up here and confess what they. But what, what I do with them is reason. If you confess it publicly, you're going to kill the devil and his main tool of gossip, and you're going to humble yourself, and God will raise you up. And right now, my assistant pastor is a pastor of Calvary Baptist Church, over five years now, running 250 people. When he got there, it was 50 people. God's blessing him, people getting saved, joining the church. God's doing it. Now, yes, he humbled himself, and yes, it was horribly embarrassing, but man, the sin against God was embarrassing too. Nobody cares about what God feels. Nobody seems to care about it. It hurts God's heart when you do something against him, especially when you publicly do it. You want to stop the slander? You want to break the chains? Because let me tell you something. If you do something and it's public, remember, you know how to do your private. But if you do something in public and you try to hide that thing, it's like trying to hold water in your hands. It'll slip through the cracks. How many times these people in corporations try to cover stuff up or preachers try to cover stuff up, and later on it'll blow up in their face, right? They tried to cover it up. And let me tell you, the public is not very forgiving about cover-up, are they? Now, we're talking secular in the world. They don't want cover-up. Oh, man, fire everybody. If they covered that thing up and they knew about it, fire them all. Hold them civilly liable. Get everything. Hurt them. 
That's, what they are. That's where their attitude is, generally speaking. How much more the church ought to be that way? If you cover something up. God forbid we cover anything up a gospel. To save the reputation of the Lord Jesus. I'll let Jesus take care of his reputation. Amen? You know what he is? A forgiver of sin. And he hates sin. And God does hate sin. And he hates when we sin. We need to get, we need to get rid of it. But nothing will do it as completely as public confession. You get it up on the table in the light. I preach a sermon about this where I said, push it into the light. Put it in the light. Uh, that, came, that really came from Matt Burke. His idea, that sermon came from Matt Burke. Push it into the light. When you got a problem, push it into the light. You're, you're going to want to do and you're going to want to take it and hide it into the darkness. Your pride is going to say, hide it into darkness. But the Bible says, push it into the light. Now, I'm not talking about getting up here and doing a bragamony on how you sin more than I sin. My sin was bigger than your sin. Pretty soon we're in a contest. Who did the worst sin, the biggest sin, baddest sin? Stop. You know, I was part of the outlaws of Ohio, and, and we, we murdered people and butchered them and did everything. It's not, you don't get out to get up here. Now, I'm making all that up, by the way. Though I do know somebody that that is true about. It's a pastor of a church. That's his past. God save anybody if you repent. If you'll confess it and repent, boy. I think we suffer today from a lack of seriously repenting in a public fashion. And the lack of this public profession has hurt us. If you make a public uh, sin, you confess it publicly, the way the Bible says, and this is good and acceptable with God, and it will be good and acceptable with the people of God. The third and last thing, the ability to deal with a failure, is uh, public rebuke. Boy, this is a strange topic. Uh, this is a foreign concept almost. The truth is that this principle is taught by Jesus himself and practiced throughout the New Testament. Revelation chapter 3, verse 19 says, As many as I love, I hug them and tell them they got a little time out for their problem. I give them kisses on the cheek so they don't feel rejected. No. As many as I love, what do, we, what do you do? I rebuke and chasten, be zealous therefore, and repent. 1 Timothy 5.20, talking about leadership, specifically in context, is talking about when leadership fails. But really it could apply from, if, if, leader, if it's good for the leadership, it's good for everybody. But when leadership fails, them that sin rebuke before all that others may fear. Now, people would say, that's unchristian. That'd just be unchristian. No, wouldn't it be Bible? It'd be biblical. It'd be right. It's to keep the body clean. It's to keep God happy with us. That's what you want to do. Paul publicly rebuked Peter. We're talking Peter. We're talking, we're talking, it was always Peter, James, and John, the leader of the 12. He didn't do right. And Paul confronted him in Galatians 2, 11 through 14. He confronted him face to face. It says in verse 14, before them all, he confronted him. You say, Brother Bill, that emptied the church. It may empty it for a while, but it will refill it. 
and the people that refilled it with would be genuine, real, humble people walking with God and wanting to do right. Um, it would create a church that feared God and shunned evil and that God could bless and cause and grow. Um, you know, I'm just crazy enough to believe the Bible. I, I, I'm, just, I'm just crazy enough to believe it. If, the, if it. if the book says it, that settles it. I don't even have to believe it, but if believe it, it'll help. But if the Bible says it, I just believe it. I believe we're supposed to take the Bible in a literal, normal sense, and when it says it, even though I got all kinds of logic against it, my logic is fleshly logic. It's rationale based around the, the teachings of the world. I got to throw my logic out and say whatever. God's logic's number one. He knows more than I know. Yeah. And he knows how to deal with this kind of stuff. So what happens to churches or groups that do not rebuke sin? Here's what happens. I know thy works, and that thou art neither cold nor hot, and I would thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, I will spew you out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I'm rich. I'm increased with goods. I have need of nothing. And knoweth not that thou art this is God's view, wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Those are some strong words. Right out of the book. Right out of the book. A church that is sensitive to sin is a church that God's for, that God will bless, God will help, God will increase, God will, God will move, God will save people, God will convict sinners of sin and Christians of sin and people, things will be going on. And, and, but a church that begins to cover up, whether it be personally cover up, whether it be publicly cover up, and then doesn't rebuke sin for what it is, never preaches against sin, never talks about it, never rebukes it, is a church that has lost their way. It's definitely not the kind of church that God wants. No rebuke of sin, ignoring evil, covering it up, will not do well because David did that, remember? What did 2 Samuel 12, 12, what did he say? Nathan, the prophet, came to David and he said this. He said, for thou didst it secretly, you covered it up. But I will do this thing before all Israel and before the Son. Now here's the methodology. You do something that should be confessed and should be gotten right on, God will rip it out into the light in a way bigger way than ever you would have done. And it will shame you in a way more serious way, and it will humble you in a more serious way, because that's what happened to David. David, when he did Bathsheba, could have got right with God, could have confessed it right there, not murdered Uriah, obviously. Had he confessed, your, had he confessed Bathsheba, he would have never murdered Uriah. But because he covered it up, it led him to murder Uriah, an innocent man. Then he covered it up, and it caused him to be shamed before all of Israel. I'll do this before the sun. It caused his, his baby that he had to die. 
It caused his servants that worked with him and served him and as the king of Israel. Caused him, <clears throat> him to be lowered in their sight. <clears throat> oh, David, had he, had he obeyed the biblical method of dealing with sin, there would have been consequences. Yes, there would have been. Adultery was punishable by death. But I somehow believe God would have intervened for him had he quickly done it. The longer you let time go, the more water under the bridge, the harder it's going to be. The harder it's going to be. In 1 Corinthians 5, 6, it says, Your glorying is not good. Know you not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? In Galatians 5, 9, a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. <clears throat> So after you hear this, how are you doing? How are you doing? The Holy Spirit and you talk that out. Maybe right now the Holy Spirit's really, really, really ripping you some about something you've held back. We had a guy years ago we, when we had uh, Harold Vaughn preach on something like this. Some of you were here. And we had a guy come, I won't mention his name, but we had a guy come forward and say, 20 years ago, I think 20 years ago, he said, I intentionally burnt my house down for the insurance money. Now, that was sin, right? You all agree that was sin? He hid it. And what happened? 20 years down the road, he couldn't stand himself anymore because if you think as a born-again believer, the Holy Spirit's going to let you rest on that, he will not do it. He loves you. And so he got under such conviction under that sermon, which was, was dealt with this kind of stuff. And, and I remember he came forward and he gave me time of confession. And he said, you know, I burnt my house down 20 years ago, collected the money. Nobody ever caught me. got away with it. He says, I'm going to call the insurance company and I'm going to confess it to them. Well, that's a go to jail. Don't pass go. Don't collect 200 bucks. And he said, if I go to jail, I go to jail. Oh, I appreciated his attitude on that. He called them. And they said, 20 years ago, we don't want anything to do with it. They just dropped it. We don't want anything to do with it, no, no prosecution, no back, no payback, no nothing. They just said, it's too old. We're not going to mess. We're not going to go back. They were happy he called. They were thrilled he called. They were impressed he called and confessed it to him, but that nothing happened. God literally released that guy. Without, except for the 20 years, he had that guilty conscience. And so God may have mercy on you. It's something you've been harboring, something you've been, that you did, that you, you know that God was a public matter and should be publicly confessed. Public because it involved his house, insurance company, and et cetera. Well, maybe God, maybe the Lord will help you tonight to obey his word. Remember, private sin, private confession, public sin, public confession, and rebuke sin in your life. Don't go easy on sin in your life. Don't do it. And you married, you want to have a happy marriage? Oh, man, this is good advice. Oh, wow. What breaks a marriage up? This kind of stuff. You know, unforgiven sin, unconfessed sin. 
will break them, eventually break a marriage up and just destroy it and it'll go off. And, and if people will both humble themselves and confess what they've done and get right with each other, it can be saved, it can be rebuilt, and God himself will do it for his sake. Father, help us tonight. Thank you for this word. Thank you for the Bible. Help us to do the hard things that come along that must be done. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.